This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 254, and today we are talking about books being released on April 7th, 2020, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Kelly Jensen, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello! Hi! So, (laughs) things are a lot different than they were the last time you and I spoke, which was Mm -hmm. a month ago, because you are the Mm -hmm. first Tuesday person. I am, and I was getting ready to leave for a week for a yoga training, and it was great. And then I came back home and everything after that sort of, you know, changed, (laughs) to put it nicely. everything is so different. Um, We were just talking forever before we started recording Mm -hmm. about all the different things that have changed in our lives uh, and how our cats are handling having people home more often. (laughs) My cats are bananas, just bananas, like... Mom and dad are both home all the time. Ah, ah, ah look at me. Mm-hmm. Like constantly. Mm-hmm. Like it has it has wound them up even more. Yeah. Mine have uh my husband's working five days in the office, five days home, he's essential. Um, and same, like when he's home, they're just so wound up, but he like he instigates it too. So <laughs> It's it's funny, like he'll be on a work call and he's like yelling at a cat, and I'm like, Well, if you didn't annoy the cat. <laughs> you can't react that way but yeah <laughs> yeah they're so funny though yeah they're they didn't get, last year we didn't have uh woodchucks or lawn bears as i call them uh, we didn't have any so this is their first year seeing them and mm-hmm. i i love how they're they just want to go out and see them even though like, they're basically the same size like this is a very large there's a baby woodchuck but there's also a, a full-grown one and it's like mm-hmm. what what are you gonna do you know you, you, and they're like we're gonna wrestle him i guess you know we're, <laughs> we're gonna wrestle because like what else would they do like chase it around i don't know but they're all ready to go they're like yeah let's go fight that woodchuck and i'm like no oh my you're staying in the house <laughs> yeah it's so funny we also have a, a new raccoon family in the neighborhood. Oh no! And they're they're huge, huge, like three times the size of a woodchuck. And one of my cats is like, I don't want to look at that. And the other one is like, I want to fight them too. <laughs> so we have we have a, a rabbit family in the backyard, and my husband keeps saying like, Why do you think they picked our house? And I said, Well, our bunny probably said this is a great place to live, but they're not allowed to come inside. So, <laughs> um, but. They're in the backyard and we only have like one window that looks out there and it's behind a kitchen sink where the cats aren't allowed to go. So they haven't seen the bunny yet out there. Uh Um, But I don't know how they would react considering that the rabbit inside is the boss and they're not. So it's not like they would know to chase it, you know? Yeah. So we're going to talk about books today. Books that we read like a year ago. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this before on the show, but, you know, I 
basically spend the whole week in the house by myself reading on a regular week. And then when I talk to my co-host, you know, I'm like, blah, 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 blah. You can't get me to shut up because I haven't really talked to anybody except my boyfriend's, you know, but like now it's like everybody like wants to talk and chat and everybody's like reaching out, um, which is really, you know, great. Everybody should reach out. But now we're going to mention books. Oh, wait, no. Now we're going to hear from a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of When We Were Silent by Fiona McPhillips. So Louise Manson is the newest student at Highfield Manor, Dublin's most exclusive private school. Behind its granite walls are high-arched alcoves, an oak-lined library, and the dark secret Lou has come to expose. So Lou's working-class status makes her the consummate outsider. That is until she is befriended by some of her beautiful and wealthy classmates. But after Lou attempts to bring the school's secret to light, her time at Highfield ends with a lifeless body sprawled at her feet. Then, 30 years later, Lou gets a shocking phone call. A high-profile lawyer is bringing a lawsuit against the school, and he needs Lou to testify. Lou will have to confront her past and discover, once and for all, what really happened at Highfield. Powerful and compelling, When We Were Silent is a thrilling story of exploitation, privilege, and retribution with themes of revenge, love, power, and secrets. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of When We Were Silent by Fiona McPhillips for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Disney Books. Do y'all like Caribbean mythology? What's more, a thriller inspired by Caribbean mythology? If you do, I got something for you. A must-read thriller that draws from the darkest corners of Caribbean mythology from acclaimed author Sarah Das, who crafts a chilling tale of magic, murder, and how far we'll go to protect what's ours. It's perfect for fans of Angeline Bully and Tiffany D. Jackson. So, unlike other people on the small island of St. Virgil, Selena Da Silva does not believe in magic. She has a logical mind. She likes botany. She wants to study pharmacology. But then her mother gets sick and she's tethered to the island and she has to make money. So what does she do? She cons a couple gullible tourists with these useless talismans and phony protection rituals. But then one of the tourists ends up dead and at the center of a strange string of murders. And the truth Selena has been denying can no longer be avoided. There is evil lurking in the forest that surround St. Virgil. Now to find out what that evil is, make sure to pick up It Waits in the Forest by Sarah Das. And thanks again to Disney Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, now I'm going to talk about my first <laughs> pick. And I might talk about this book for like 30 minutes. Um, so, you know, we'll just, we'll just see what happens. Uh, it is called Weird. The Power of Being an Outsider in an Insider World by Olga Kazan. And I am sorry in advance for relating to this so much and telling you some stories regarding me. I'm sorry for my hubris. But I have never read a book that speaks to me so much as this book. Uh, I, I really I really don't think... I, I, it's giving me so many emotions. So many emotions. It's it's affecting me more than I've, anything I've ever read, probably. Uh, so if you've met me or seen me online, um, you would not be surprised to know that the adjective that was applied to me the most as a child and still today is weird. You know, all day long at school, people were calling me weird. People would send my yearbook. I don't really know you, but you're weird. Um, in high school, as a senior, when they handed out the superlatives, I was voted most unique. 
uh, or not, not, excuse me, I was voted most unforgettable, which had been most unique, but the person who got it before me was all upset because they thought unique stood for weird, which it kind of does. So they changed it to most unforgettable, but basically they were saying, you are the most unforgettable because you are weird. Uh, and that is, that is what, you know, happened to me. Uh, and it was just, it was just a lot all the time. And I, sometimes I would cry about it and be sad. And, you know, people would be like, well, why don't you try to fit in? And it's like, I'm not trying to be weird. I'm just being myself. And my parents made it worse by telling me it was important to be myself. And so I was weird. But I was weird for even more reasons than I realized uh, until I read this book. Um, Because being weird doesn't just mean like, you know, you're wearing one of those arrows through your head and, you know, purple socks with bright green pants and, you know, whatever people think might be strange. But it just means like being an outsider, you know, and how that affects people. Um, so Olga Kazan is from Midland, Texas. Uh, she immigrated here with her parents when she was very young. And her parents are Russian uh, and Jewish. And for many reasons, and because it, where they lived in Texas, they were considered outsiders. They were considered weird. They were considered weird because of the language that they spoke, uh, because of their religion. What I did not realize in this book, as she's explaining, is that uh, what a lot of the um, Jewish uh, Russians are, they don't really celebrate their religion. Like it's not a, it's not like a, a very religious country in general. But when they came to the states, um, you know, American Jewish people were like, you know, you need to do all these ceremonies and you need to do all these things, and you know, you need to celebrate this day and that day. And and they were like, we've never done that. And so again, they were considered weird. Uh, just because of where they came from. And she also mentions, like, how, you know, when you're weird, for her, you know, when, when, they, when she meets somebody, she spends a good few minutes answering, like, where are you from? What does your name mean? Can you say something in Russian? Like, people asking her all these things where that might not happen to, like, someone else when they just meet someone for the first time. I've been telling my friends, you know, I recently dyed my hair blonde, and it has cut down on the number of interactions that I have with strangers when I go out buy a lot because when I would go to the grocery store or to the drugstore or whatever, someone says, you know, hey, you know, is your hair naturally red? Uh, do your parents have red hair? You know, is your hair naturally curly? Just like they ask you these questions and now people don't ask me that anymore. And it's such a difference to just go out and not have to, you know, talk about my life choices or my name or my hair color or anything like that. Um, and so back so i'm sorry i told you i talk a lot about myself for this it just speaks to me so much um but you know so she talks about like you know not just being weird but like being different like for whatever reason because of your sexuality because of your physical appearance um she interviews a man with dwarfism and he talks about how when he was in high school he was at the top of his class he had like the highest gpa and the same with college and he wanted to be a doctor and so he he applied to all these programs and the people around him, his guidance counselor, his his professors, they were all saying, you can't be a doctor because you're short, which is just, you know, it's nothing I ever thought about until I read this. And so he applied to all these programs and he was denied by all of them except for one, all of them, even though he had the best scores, the best grades of anybody. He was denied 59 times. And now he is a brilliant surgeon. You know, but he was but he was considered an outsider because of his height, you know, and she talks a lot about like mob mentality. We all know this, like mob mentality. People like other people who think the same as them and how you're kept on the outside if you don't, 
you know, have the same ideas or the same views. How friends, there's like, this is like stats galore. If you like statistics, this book is for you. You know, she talks about how like friends, when she interviewed friends, they have like so many of the same viewpoints. You you don't have that many friends who feel differently about things because it makes you feel better. It makes It's comforting to you to be surrounded by people that you identify with. Um, and she talks about how, I mean, she talks about so many things, but like basically what she's saying is what makes you unique, you know, while it might bring all these problems also can be used to your benefit. And I have to say, you know, I always joke that I could never steal, I could never rob a bank because I look like me and, you know, I do stand out, but also people remember me more often. When I go to BEA, people are like, there's Liberty Hardy. You know, like when I go out places, people are like, there's Liberty Hardy, you know, and when that used to be a problem for me when I was a kid, you know, now it's like, it's really great. And so it sometimes it makes it harder for me to be weird, but like also it's an advantage because you stick out. Um, I'm going to stop talking about it now because oh, I could just go on forever. Um, but I mean, this book was so great. I tweeted at the author. I was just like, oh, I'm just crying and I just love this and it means so much. And it, it's amazing. Um, they're comparing it to Quiet by Susan Cain. And, and I, I find that to be a, a good comparison. So this is Weird, The Power of Being an Outsider in an Insider World by Olga Kazan. My first pick is Goodbye from Nowhere by Sarah Zar. And uh, I'm just going to dive right in. So one thing that has been consistent in Kyle's Kyle Baker's life is his family. Um, it's big. There's a lot of personalities. And every summer they all get together at Nowhere Farm, which is a family farm, and they celebrate each other. This year, he is bringing his serious girlfriend, Nadia, and he's really excited for her to meet his family because they're so important to him. And um, it's her opportunity to get to know like where he comes from. So things are going really, really well. Nadia loves his family and they seem to love her. But um, it's not too long before Kyle um, learns something about his family that makes everything come crashing down. And that is that um, his father breaks the news. His mom is having an affair. Kyle gets this news and promises not to tell his sisters who are older. And um, he is finding that the silence and not being able to talk to them is really starting to kill him. And it's the silence and this secret eating away at him that ultimately kills the relationship he has with Nadia. Um, he's growing really distant and cold towards everyone and struggling to process the news. And it comes to a real head when he begins to think about the woman and the child who are connected to the man with whom his mother is having the relationship. They aren't aware that this relationship is going on. And when Kyle meets both of them by chance, he's really, really devastated about knowing the truth and carrying it with him. Um, so he does what he thinks is right. And he reaches out to his cousin who helps him navigate the ups and downs of discovering these huge secrets. and helps him to navigate what happens when you suddenly have to look at somebody that you thought you knew in a different light. Um, I really, really like this book. This is uh, Sarah Zar's latest book, and it reads a lot like a Sarah Dessen book. And I think that that's a, a big compliment. There's a lot of real world building here um, and a really complex set of family relationships that Kyle has to navigate. He's 
also navigating this relationship with Nadia at the beginning that doesn't last. Um, and what we see of it, even though it's pretty small, is really fascinating. Um, the two of them are, by all appearances, really mature, but um, it becomes clear through the secret how immature Kyle really is, as he sort of wrestles with um, the secret his father tells. He um, doesn't seek support for it, but instead becomes distant and cold and unapproachable and um, worries about like what she's going to think about the family instead of what she might be for him in terms of like a steady, solid foundation and person to rely on. Um, it's a really well-paced book. It's perfect for readers who love family stories, who like flawed but likable main characters. Kyle's both of those. He's super flawed, but also quite likable, um, even when he's extremely frustrating to watch. Um, and readers who like stories about what happens when the next generation of a family um, who's poised to take over tradition suddenly has that pulled out from underneath them. It's a quiet read, but it packs in a lot of really, really good stuff. And it's funny, I, I wrote this description before, like when I read this book earlier, I read it, I think it was at the very beginning of March. And I said that I can't remember the last time that I saw a parental affair in a YA novel addressed like this. And then I read another one literally days later, um, which is fascinating to me. I am a child of parents who got divorced because my father had an extramarital affair. And so I find those stories fascinating because I got to hear the like big backstory of the whole relationship falling apart in my teen years, even though it happened before then. And so I really connect with teens who are experiencing that. And um, I feel like Sarah Zar just nailed it really, really well in this. And that is Goodbye from Nowhere by Sarah Zar. Okay, my next pick is, I feel like it fit that description you said a moment ago, like a quiet novel that packs a lot in. I'm paraphrasing, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> it is the subtweet by Vivek Shraya. Uh, I was going to talk about a different book today, and then the date got moved because, as I mentioned last week, a lot of dates are getting shifted around. So I grabbed this one, and I loved it. It's quickly made it to the top of my list of best books of the year. Uh, it's definitely going to be one of my favorites. Uh, it is about two friends, Neela and Rukmini. They are uh, South Asian Canadian musicians. Uh, Neela is a trans woman, and they start up a friendship when Rukmini covers one of Neela's songs. And they are, like, the best of friends very quickly. Uh, they have a lot in common. They're both musicians. You know, they're both South Asian women uh, trying to deal with racism. Uh, and then Rukmini, uh, whose star, uh, or she when she covers Neela's song, um, her star is rising. Like, it takes off and she does really well. And, you know, and this is Neela's song that Rukmini is singing. And so we start to see, like, jealousy in Neela and what ends up happening. Um, so the title is the subtweet. If you don't know what a subtweet is, it's basically when you tweet something, you, like, say something without saying something, but the target of the intended tweet, you know, like, it's kind of like a side-eye, but as a tweet, um, like, they know what it is. So Neela subtweets something that is about Rukmini and their friendship explodes. And now Neela is left dealing with the pieces. And it it's just, it was so good. I loved the writing. I loved how it, how Shreya portrayed friendship and jealousy. 
uh, fame, sexism, art, social media. There are so many books now about um, dealing with social media and the fallouts from social media because it's a very, very real thing that happens to people all the time now. And I found this book just seemed, it, it seems so very real to me. You know, like I was just reading, it could have been a memoir, you know, like of, of a, I'm sure this has to have, ha- have happened before, you know, people falling out over, you know, social media. Um, but, and it's also, I really enjoyed Nila's exploration, you know, of art. You know, the book covers like, who is a true artist? Like, who gets to call themselves an artist? Um, who get, who says people are a true artists? Like, if you don't, you know, do this thing or, you know, is all art just copying now? You know, if you're not original, does that make you an artist? Um, I just loved all the questions that it raised and I thought it was fantastic. It is the subtweet and it is by Vivek Shraya. My next pick is something totally different than anything we have talked about so far. And that is <laughs> that is Joy at Work, Organizing Your Professional Life by Marie Kondo and Scott Sonenshine. And um Before the world was even sort of descending into this pandemic, uh, I saw a little talk about Marie Kondo's new book, and it was really surprising. We all read Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. We all watched the Netflix adaptation. And um, I think without question, readers who love the book or the adaptation are going to love and absolutely eat up her new book. Um, But even more than that, I think this is a book that readers who are looking for a book about how to be their best at work or how to enjoy their job more will really want to page through. It's short and um, it's quick. The book flips between Marie Kondo sharing her insights and Scott Soninshine, who is a business professional and organizational psychologist who studies how people operate in the workplace. So they both share their insights back and forth. Rather than give a blow by blow of the book, which is hard to do, I just want to talk about some of the takeaways I got from the book. Um, I really and truly did take notes when I was reading this and um, plan on trying to implement or think about some of these things. I'm pretty sure this book is more applicable for white collar workers than those working in blue collar jobs or in service industries, but I suspect that some of the principles will apply there too. Um, So there's two key pieces of joy at work when it comes to what it is on your desk, like your physical desk workspace. Um, One, it needs to spark joy personally, and two, sorry, there are three key pieces. I think I said two. Um, It needs to spark joy personally. That's number one. Number two is it needs to be functional and aid in your work. Um, So these things might not spark joy. And three, it needs to um, lead to future joy. So something like business receipts that will ultimately lead to getting reimbursed would be uh, number three here. So when you focus on those three things, you're better able to realize like what your ideal workspace looks like. Um, and, And you take the same KonMari method. So as you're organizing your desk, you'll do books, then you'll do papers, and you'll do kimono and then sentimental. And you'll think about those three things as you're as you're organizing. I really loved the way that the book talked about organizing your digital work. Um, digital work includes in in the book uh, documents, emails, and phone apps. And like when you do KonMari with physical objects, you're instructed to think about everything you let go of and thank it for the service it provided. Um, So they recommend things like keeping the number of files and folders you have on your computer as low as possible. There's this really great line that I loved about um, social media, and it says uh, to be choosy about who you choose to follow, and that um, that can help detract from overwhelm when it comes to cleaning out your profiles. So even though this book is definitely about stuff, 
I think it's a lot more than that, uh, just like tidying up is. It's a lot more about the process of self-discovery than it is organizing. And I think it does a good job of digging into the importance there is in taking power of choosing your things. What's important in your routine, in your meetings, and in your tasks? And how how do you define what is important and why you continue to do those things? They give this really great note card method of sort of figuring out the routines and the tasks that you do and whether or not they're even worth continuing to do. Um, the biggest, biggest takeaway for me in this one was that tidying should be part of your decision-making process. And again, you get a roadmap for how tidying is connected to a decision-making process. In a time when we're all stuck inside and hopefully healthy, I think this book could be a game changer for when people return to their offices and to daily life when it comes to prioritizing what's important and maybe what's not so important. And that is Joy at Work, Organizing Your Professional Life by Marie Kondo and Scott Soninshine. Okay. Uh, now I'm going to switch back to something completely different. My next pick is Redhead by the Side of the Road by Ann Tyler. Ann Tyler is, oh, she's my comfort read. I read every Ann Tyler. I think this is like her 23rd or 24th book. I know I've talked about her before. I just love her. I feel like everything is going to be okay when I read her. And this was a great time for an Ann Tyler. This one is about a man in his 40s named Micah Mortimer. Um, he is... Uh, he has a very measured, controlled life. He likes things to be neat and orderly. He likes the control he has over his life. He uh, works in tech, but he works for himself. Uh, he is the super of his own apartment building. Uh, he is a very careful driver. He goes for a run every morning. He likes routine and the sort of like steadiness of his life. He has a very steady relationship with a teacher named Cass. Uh, but then one day... Cass shows up at his door and says that uh, her landlord has found out about the cat that she was keeping in her apartment that she was not supposed to keep, and now she's being evicted, and can he help her? And around the same time, a young man named Brink shows up at his door and says, uh, Hi, I'm your son from your college girlfriend, which he did not know anything about. And so all of a sudden, Micah's world is off its axis, like not just one, but two major changes and. It's all about, like, how is he going to handle these new situations? And it also examines his past and, like, what he thought he knew about his life and about the things in his life he's seeing from other perspectives um, and how, you know, this this changed everything for him. Um, it's uh, so I'm going to say that, like I said at the beginning, this was sort of a comfort read for me. And I enjoy the fact that it felt familiar. But also, not only does it feel familiar to me when I read Intellers, but this one, I'm not going to lie, felt a little familiar to her other novels of the of recent years, um, you know, in Baltimore and the families. And, you know, but that's okay, too. Like, if that's what you need right now, that's what I needed right now is, like, something familiar. Um, and also, I will say... The ending just kind of comes to this jarring stop. Uh, I am a huge fan of books that end like that, like Balzac and the Little Chinese Seamstress, but not everyone likes an ending that just ends abruptly. Um, so if you don't want to try this out, maybe this is your first Ann Tyler, um, I recommend either going back or picking up for the first time uh, Saint Maybe or The Accidental Tourist, which are my favorite Ann Tyler novels, or reading this one. 
I really enjoyed it. It is Redhead by the Side of the Road by Ann Tyler. Kelly, did it sound like I enjoyed that book? Because I really did enjoy that book, and I'm not trying to tell people not to read it. I just want to give everybody <laughs> like a heads up. <laughs> no, I think I think there's always this sort of um, trepidation readers have when they want to start an author who has like a prolific list mm-hmm. um, and kind of giving them the heads up when a book is maybe not necessarily like all of the other ones mm-hmm. um, is always worthwhile. So then they know if they go in um, and love it, they can know that like, okay, they might like her other stuff a lot too. But if they go in and don't love it so much, they're like, okay, that one didn't work for me. But like, I know that this one's different. So I'll go pick up a different one, you know? Good. Good. Yeah. 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 Because I know <laughs> that there are several Ann Tyler fans out there too who will, mm-hmm. will love this book. So you are going to tell us about your next pick. But first, here is our second sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Yin Press, your favorite publisher of Japanese manga and novels. Tragedy unfolds on the first day of spring when a train derails at Nishi Iwakahama Station, changing the course of hundreds of lives. Two months later, a rumor spreads of a ghost with the power to send others back in time, inevitably attracting those who seek a chance to go back to that fateful day. The God of Nishi Yuagahama Station by Takeshi Morase is a moving story about the unpredictability of life. It aims to comfort tired souls and answers the famous question, what would you do if you had a second chance? Told through the eyes of a student, a son, and a bride-to-be, this heart-wrenching novel is a reflection of how grief impacts us and what we must do to pick up the pieces. Don't miss this literary debut full of fabulism and time travel by Japanese writer Takeshi Murase. To learn more, please visit yinpress.com. And thanks again to Yin Press, your favorite publisher of Japanese manga and novels, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, it's all you! It is me. My next pick is We Didn't Ask for This by Adi Al-Said. Um, so tonight... When the book takes place tonight, not like tonight right now, um, it's the night of the international school's annual lock-in. It's this tradition that the school has had for forever, and it's always legendary. All kinds of really fun activities take place from decathlons to dance parties. And this year, PJ is super eager to be the MC of events. Um, his brother had earned incredible respect when he was the master of ceremonies, and PJ is super desperate to top him. Tonight, Amira is hoping to win the decathlon, and this is important to her because she's been keeping her passion for sports and her interest in other girls um, quiet from her very conservative mother. 
Omar wants to finally kiss PJ tonight. Kenji is hoping to star in the improv show, providing uh, proving that her acting chops are alive and well. And Celeste is the new girl at school. Um, she is hoping that she can make her first real friend. She has felt so lonely since she moved to another country from her suburban Chicago home. And all of it looks like it should go on as planned until it doesn't. Tonight, driven by her passion to make change in the world, uh, a student named Marissa Cuevas and a group of fellow environmentally conscious students decide to chain themselves to the doors of the school and refuse to let anyone else either enter or exit the building until their list of demands are met. And those demands are both really little things that are easy to implement as well as really huge things. Um, they range from stuff like the school banning single-use plastics to protective measures being enacted to protect a local island from destruction. And as the night goes on, it becomes really clear that uh, Marisa and her team are not going to back down until their demands are heard, and not just heard, but also met. So as the story goes on, one night bleeds into the next, and then into the next, and the protests go on for a full week before things reach any sort of breaking point. Um, students, once they're so inconvenienced and angered by Marissa, are now listening and even stepping up to help her. Um, they know people who know people who can make change happen, and so they do what they can now, hoping that by meeting those demands, they not only get set free, but also um, really do change the world for the better. Um, it's not as easy as it sounds, as you could probably guess, um, as there is also a group of students within the school who are hoping to take Marissa down, and um, they're getting closer and closer to doing that throughout the story. This is a really smart look at standing up for what it is you believe in, and it's really creative in how it's executed. Marissa, um, throughout the book, isn't necessarily seen as a hero for championing these causes. Um, she's seen as the enemy because she is, like, ruining everybody's fun here. Um, but when something really drastic happens to her, it's her uh, peers who begin not only to listen to her, but understand why it was so important for her uh, to choose this hill to die on and why she chose to execute her protest in this this precise way. Um, I read a whole bunch of books this year that are on student activism and student activist, and this is a really worthwhile addition to the collection. And I think um, it's really noteworthy for the lack of immediate agreement among the students. This is a really diverse student body as well as a student body with the means to make change happen. They're all pretty privileged students, but not all of them are interested. And it's a reminder that even though this current generation of teenagers really does stand up for what they believe in and they're vocal, it's not universal. And they're not agreeing on everything universally either. And I think sometimes it's easy to forget that kids also want to be kids and that in and of itself can be the challenge when it comes to making change. Um, this is really creative and thought-provoking and timely and just gave me a lot to chew on and think about. Um, and I loved it's told in third person and you get to see all these various perspectives throughout the the night and the week as it as it moves on. And that's We Didn't Ask for This by Adi Al-Said. Okay. Uh, my last book uh, is probably the most book in the Liberty Wheelhouse that I've talked about in a <laughs> while, not counting how I babbled on about being weird at the beginning of the show. <laughs> um, but now I will talk about a weird book. Uh, it is called Sin Eater, The Sin Eater by Megan Campisi. And it is a dark historical fiction novel with a little bit of fantastical elements uh, set in 16th century England. 
It is about a teen girl named May. She is an orphan, and she gets caught stealing a loaf of bread. Uh, and that's not the first book that has started out this way, as we all know. Uh, but she is caught, and she is sentenced to be a sin eater. Uh, and I will explain to you what a sin eater is. Uh, first, I will mention uh, that, uh, again, it's very dark. Uh, so they brand her tongue with an S because she is told she has to be a sin eater for life. Uh, and what a sin eater does is they hear the confessions of the dying, and there are ritual foods placed uh, in the coffin, uh, or excuse me, the, the, they don't hear the 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 dying give their confessions, and then there are ritual foods uh, that represent certain sins that are placed in the coffin after they die, and the sin eater goes and eats these foods uh, that these that represent these certain sins, thereby taking on their sins so that the person who has passed away can ascend to heaven. Uh, the ritual is tied in with the story of Eve and how she ate the apple. Um, and so you might be correct in thinking that this doesn't make you a very popular person in your town if you are a sin eater. Uh, people stay away from them. And so she's this young girl now who is going to have to do this for the rest of her life. And not only that, but this is a public ritual that, like, the people watch. Uh, and so uh, May has a mentor, another sin eater, an older woman, um, who kind of takes her under her wing. And they get called to uh, do their work for the former governess to the Virgin Queen. This is in Elizabethan England. Uh, and again, this is very public. It's right out there in the in the kingdom. Everybody there is to watch. Everybody is there to watch. And um, they know about, like, the certain things that they are going to ingest. And I say that because when they get there, someone has placed a deer heart in the coffin with this governess. And they know that she did not confess to the sin that this dear heart is supposed to represent. Isn't this like so cool? Like I'm just, I'm saying like, I want to read this book after I've already read it, just like hearing myself talk about it. So there's a dear heart. This woman didn't confess to this sin that, that the dear heart represents. And so May's mentor refuses to eat it. Uh, that does not go well for her. She is tortured and killed. Um, like I said, very dark, very violent. And so now May takes it upon herself to figure out like who in this kingdom put that dear heart in the coffin and why, and gets all caught up in this web of lies and deception. Um, it's a little bit Game of Thrones. It's a little bit um, perfume. Uh, it reminded me some of, even though it's like a few hundred years later, it reminded me of the Mistress of the Art of Death series by Ariana Franklin, which was a series that I absolutely loved, and I'm very sad that she passed away after only writing a couple Um it's really, you know, it's dark. It's super dark. And a sin, if you're wondering, yes, a sin eater was an actual uh, profession that people had. And by profession, it's not like something they picked, but um, it was something that people actually did. Uh, and, you know, I mentioned in my last book that the ending kind of stops abruptly. This one also has a kicker <laughs> of an ending um, that will have you go, Whoa! Uh, but hopefully in a good way. Um, I loved this book. It is The Sin Eater by Megan Campisi. My last book is one that, like, I've been itching to talk about. Oh, uh, I can't wait to hear about it. Yeah, and talk with people about because it was so fascinating. It is Hidden Valley Road, Inside the Mind of an American Family by Robert Kolker. And before I dive in, uh, trigger warnings on this one for mental health depictions that might be unsettling for suicide as well as sexual assault and rape. Uh, so go in knowing that that is all going to be right there on the page. Um, so... This is a nonfiction book, and it's about 
um, this couple, Don and Mimi Galvin, who had 10 kids between the years 1945 and 1965. There were eight boys and two girls. Um, and the two girls are the youngest in the family. Of the siblings, so of the 10 of them, six of the boys were diagnosed with schizophrenia over the course of their lives. And this book explores how this family at this time and place highlight how far our understanding of schizophrenia has come, as well as how much is still, even now in 2020, um, largely unknown about schizophrenia. So the book alternates between telling the siblings and the parents' stories, how they came to have so many kids, the sorts of challenges they experienced living with schizophrenia or being witness to it, um, with what science was doing in terms of researching schizophrenia through the generations. There's a lot in here that digs into the arguments of nature versus nurture, and the Galvins became the first family ever studied by the National Institute of Mental Health because they um, had so many cases and gave this opportunity to study the genetic component that might exist with schizophrenia. Um, they also became a way of understanding where and how schizophrenia uh, might run along bloodlines. They were curious why it was none of the girls in the family experienced the illness, but um, several, most of the boys in the family did. Through the Galvin family, schizophrenia's history and the treatment of those experiencing it are explored from uh, treatments like lobotomy to institutionalization to medication and the fallouts that all of those treatments have had and the, the side effects that science has discovered um, throughout the years of, of these um, practices. And to this day, like still today, the Galvin family DNA is being used to research um, better understandings of the disease. And at the end of the day, the book is about how there's still so much that's unknown about, about schizophrenia. Um, the book is extremely compassionate and empathetic, even as it delves into how troubled the family was um, outside of the mental health crisis that they experienced. Um, Don, the dad, he turned out to be someone uh, wholly different than anybody thought. Um, while both the sisters in the family experienced sexual assault at the hand of a brother and there's a possibility that some of the boys were victims of sexual abuse from a beloved church leader as well. Um, all of these things combined with some of the tremendous secrets that Mimi, the mom, kept from her kids about her own trauma growing up only further made the story more fascinating and heartbreaking and powerful and um, leaves you as a reader with just so many more questions and desire to learn about schizophrenia and what effects it has on those experiencing it as well as those in the family who um, experience it as an as somebody who who lives with a loved one who has it um, it's a slower read this one took me a while to read um, but it's really immersive it's incredibly well done and balanced and complex and I just I keep thinking about it I keep thinking about this family um, not all of the siblings are still alive a number of them have died but the sisters are still alive, and the youngest sister, Lindsay, is um, caretaker for a number of her brothers now. And so it was fascinating to read from her perspective all the things that she was learning as the youngest to learn about um, the different relationships among the siblings, like who got along with who, who didn't get along with who, and where mental illness may have played part in that. Kolker did a really great job with his research. And again, I was 
really pleased with how compassionate and empathetic the portrayal was both of the science and of the family. And that is uh, Hidden Valley Road, Inside the Mind of the American Family by Robert Kolker. And I should say the cover is super eerie. It's this photo of the family standing on a staircase and all the boys and um, are in suits. The girls are in dresses and the parents are at the top. And it's just like, it's very, the best way to describe it is it's like very, you know, June Cleaver family, like, but you can tell there's a creepy edge to it. And um, that's a real photo of the family. And um, Colker talks about that a little bit in the book and just how unsettling that photo is. And I can't, I can't stop thinking about it. Oh, you've sold me. I'm going to read it next. <laughs> oh, so what a collection of books we had today. <laughs> I know. A Lots bit of, of great everything. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So those were our new books. What are you going to read next? I am almost done with um, When You Were Everything by Ashley Woodfolk, which is a YA friendship breakup novel, the second one that I know of this year, and I'm really enjoying it. I don't know why friendship breakup stories feel so good to read, um, but this one feels really good to read. What about you? What are you reading? (laughs) So I'm very excited because I just got the sequel to Flowers Over the Inferno by Ilaria Tutti. It is called The Sleeping Nymph. Uh, I think I mentioned uh, Flowers Over the Inferno. Maria Cristina might have talked about it. Um, It's just this super grisly Italian detective novel. And the protagonist is a detective in her 60s. She's in charge of everybody and wicked smart. Uh, Wicked, that's my main coming out. Um, And (laughs) I loved it. And so I'm very excited to check this one out. Uh, And then I'm going to read Hidden Valley because, (laughs) yeah. Like, usually I get to things that I want to read, but occasionally if I see that, you know, one of you has picked something I wanted to read, I'm like, I'll just wait. Uh, But this one I was like, ooh, 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 but I didn't get to it. Yeah, it's so funny because I had it, I'd like put it on Goodreads to read a long, long time ago. Um, And as I was trying to figure out what to read for this episode, I had forgotten about this book. And when it popped up, I was like, wait a minute, that sounds familiar. And I went back to my Goodreads. I was like, oh, yeah, I was so excited about that one. And it was just... It's so glad when it lives up to the expectation you want it to have, you know? Yeah. I was also excited to hear you talk about it because the other day, I think it was on Twitter, but I can't remember. I just saw somebody randomly mentioned on the internet somewhere. They're like, I read Hidden Valley and it wasn't anything like what I was expecting. And I was like, well, I read the description and like, what did they think it was about? And then listening oh. to you talk about it, I was like, it's exactly like the description says. So like, what did mm-hmm. someone like, did they pick it up saying this is going to be about ranch dressing? Like what, what were they expecting Hidden Valley to be about? You know, <laughs> I wonder if they expected it to be like really a dramatic story mm-hmm. um, or like something a little bit more salacious than it really is. Like, it's not. I mean, it goes into big, heavy, important stuff, but it's, you know, it's handled in a really compassionate way like I said that you know I I don't know maybe I don't know (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to read it and we'll discuss it yes (laughs) okay so that is it for us today I do want to mention um if you see a uh, podcast pop up in your all the books feed that says trailer that is because we have redone the trailer you know it's only been like five or six years since the show started (laughs) and we have redone the trailer which is the little thing that pops up when people uh, look up the show on uh, apple Podcasts. so if you see that that's what it is don't be alarmed Uh, (laughs) and uh thank you to our sponsors and you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com you can find us online we both mostly hang out on instagram i am pranz and come is alive Kelly is Hey Kelly Jensen, 
And you can go to Apple Podcasts if you want to give us a treat and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, actually, I get the impression that like we would love to tell you more about the books that we read today. Uh, yes. But we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. Uh, stay safe, everyone. And in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.